Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, a new day, a day of grace. Thank you for uh, your kindness in sustaining us, uh, your patience with us. Bless us again as we meet today, uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing this series on um, life in the gospel, uh, effectively. What does it mean to live in light of the gospel? Um, And I want you to imagine, just round tables, some discussion to get your brains warmed up. Imagine your friend becomes a Christian, comes to you and says, okay, now what? Um, How do I live the Christian life? What what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Okay, so your friend becomes a Christian and says, right, now what? What do I do? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? What are you going to say to her, basically, in terms of how they live the Christian life? Um, sorry, slight interruption there. Back on it. Um, okay, when we... Um, let's come back together. When we start talking about what the Christian life looks like, very easily and quickly, we tend to run to a list of to-dos. Um, you become a Christian by believing the gospel, and after that, here are the practices of the Christian life. Uh, come with me to Colossians 2. This is our kind of um, key passage, I guess, for this little two-week series. And verses 6 and 7. Paul is writing to this church really all about how to grow as Christians, how to keep going as Christians. So verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, root and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, The Colossians want to grow. Uh, last week, we, we focused on the first half of that verse, just as you receive Jesus Christ as the Lord. We, th- we thought about what it means to come to him, how we come to him empty-handed, you bring nothing, uh, it's all of him. Uh, we looked at a, a verse in John's Gospel, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And we saw throughout the Gospels, we, you see this model with so many different people coming to Jesus with all sorts of different problems. Lepers who are unclean, blind men who obviously can't see, even the dead are brought to him, and they can't bring anything. All they bring is their blindness, their leprosy, their uncleanliness, their demon possession, their, their death. And all the power is in Jesus. Whoever comes, the gospel is all grace. In other words, nothing can disqualify you from coming to Jesus. And so we were thinking last week about the way in, if you like, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. And this week it's the way on. And it's just the second half of the verse. So walk in him. Um, there's a huge temptation to think that things change once we become a Christian, once we begin the Christian life. Now it's over to me, we think. Okay, so I, I, I began by grace, but now it's over to me. Now I ought to know better. Now God expects more. Um, Christ's mercy is rightly less to me now because, you know, he's taught me stuff. I, before I was a non-Christian, I didn't understand, but now I know stuff. So obviously he's going to be crosser more quickly. He's given me a second chance. I've got to keep it up. And... And almost imperceptibly, perhaps pretty quickly, perhaps over time in the Christian life, grace, mercy and Jesus in all his compassion just sort of drift out the window a little bit. And the Christian life becomes one of merit and keeping God's favour. So we know the gospel, we don't earn God's favour at the beginning, but we slip back into thinking, 
well, okay, I was forgiven, and now I've got to keep God's favour. Now I've got to keep him happy with me. And this is exactly the kind of thing the Colossians struggled with. Have a look down in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Or, Or verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. And the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Or verse 21. Oh, sorry, I'll start at verse 20. Verse 20, if you, with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You must think better to grow, says one group. There's this secret philosophy. Uh, You must experience more to grow. There's this worship uh, of angels. Or you must do more, verse 21. There's these funny rules about don't touch this and don't eat that. And There's always someone who's got the plan for growth other than the gospel. But Paul says, no, in the same way as you began, so you walk in him. I think it's Tim Keller who used to say the gospel isn't just the ABC of the Christian life. As if it's the beginning, before you move on to the... D, E, F, G, all the way through. The the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. Or to put it another way, Jesus' compassion doesn't run out once you become a Christian. Um, One of the pictures of of a Christian in the Bible is a son, an adopted son or daughter. What father would want a newly adopted son to feel they needed now to earn their place in the family? Imagine you didn't adopt a child. You know, the child's had a rough time out there in the world. You bring them into your family... And the next morning you wake up and you find that he's downstairs, you know, polishing the kitchen hob. He's shined your car. He's done the dishes. And you say, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm just making sure I keep my place in the family. You'd be horrified, wouldn't you? You want to say, no, 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 you're, you're here because you're my child. I love you. Your place isn't conditional on whether you clean enough or wash enough. Or... And yet it is a credibly common problem. I've just flipped back a book to the book of Galatians. A couple of books. And Galatians 3. I can read verses 1 to 6. Galatians 3 and 1 to 6. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, as in did you begin the Christian life... By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, well, hearing with faith. I didn't begin the Christian life by works of the law, by doing. It was grace. (coughs) Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You began, Paul says to the Galatians, you began, you remember this Galatians, you began by being saved by faith, through faith alone. You were justified, verse 6. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteous, he was <coughs> counted as righteous. Bible's language of justification. God said, yes, you and I are at peace. You are not guilty. You, you fulfilled the law. You are, you are righteous in my sight, Abraham. Why? Because Abraham had earned his place? No. 
but because he trusted God to justify him. It was grace. Christ has done everything for you, Paul said to the Galatians. And you knew that when you trusted him. So are you now going to take over from Jesus and keep yourself in the faith? Keep yourself in good standing. Uh, Martin Luther, one of the the great reformers who sort of helped recover the gospel uh, at the start of the Reformation. Uh, He says this in his, I think it's in his commentary on Galatians. I forgot to write down the, the reference. To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. He's having to disguise himself, run away, hide in castles, take on false aliases so he doesn't get arrested and burnt. Um, He has a tough life. And yet he says, this great theologian, this great preacher, this great writer, to believe, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. That is the battle for much of the Christian life. I put on your sheets there this amazing letter from John Newton. John Newton's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, and he's writing to someone who is, we haven't got the other letter, but you can sort of pick up that the guy he's writing to is really struggling with, um, with doubt, with ongoing sin. Um, you know, have I messed up too much, basically? And Newton writes back and says this. You have one hard lesson to learn. That is the evil of your own heart. You know something of it, but it's needful, it's necessary, you should know more. For the more we know of ourselves, the more we shall prize and love Jesus and his salvation. I hope what you find in yourself by daily experience will humble you, but not discourage you. In other words, as you discover your sinfulness, it's not meant to leave you to despair, but it is meant to humble you. Humble you it should, and I believe it does. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope? That poor and needed as you are, the Lord thinks of you. But let not all your, you feel discourage you. For our physician, our doctor is almighty. Our disease cannot be desperate. And if, if he casts none out that come to him, why should you fear? Yes, you've sinned greatly. But he doesn't cast away anyone who comes to him. Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. That, by the way, is where that song comes from. So the, the song we sing sometimes, His Mercy is More, came after the guy who wrote it read this letter. His sins, our sins are many, his mercy is more. Our sins are great, his righteousness is greater. We are weak, he is power. Most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. All these evils are not removed in a day. Now remember he's running to a Christian, not a non-Christian. There's gold everywhere, but for our purposes it's that last line I want to focus on. The one I've underlined, I think, on your sheets, yeah. Newton's saying that, which same thing as Paul is saying to the Colossians and the Galatians, we slip back into thinking we haven't done enough. That's what he means by saying a legal spirit remains. And so many of our problems in life come from that. We slip back into thinking we haven't done enough, we aren't enough, we ought to have done more. God's love for us has turned into a kind of frown. That fundamentally, as God looks down from heaven, what he's looking, at best, he's tut-tutting and disappointed. And quite likely, he's flat-out angry with us. Why? Because I've not done enough. And if that grows, we can start feeling that actually, well, judgment still awaits me. 
And of course, we've got an enemy. Satan is at hand to pour fuel on the fire, isn't he? So Satan, however he does it, I mean, who knows quite how Satan works, but Satan starts whispering in our ear, yeah, real Christians don't know what you do. You haven't really killed sin off, have you? You haven't really repented very hard, have you? Our inheritance from Adam is there. Remember Adam, as soon as he sins, what does he do? He doesn't run to God and say, I've sinned, I need mercy. He goes and hides in the bush. And we're all descendants of Adam. We, We all, ever since then, have got this inherited instinct, I suppose, to go and hide from God rather than come to him. It could have been exacerbated by human experiences. I think this is some of the insights of some of the psychologists of the last hundred years or so. Human experiences of rejection, childhood or adulthood, not being accepted, they could shape our, our psyche too, no doubt. But Christ is a greater saviour, says Newton. Your hope remains in him. And what you need to kill off is not just your sin, though of course that's true, it's just not really our focus today. What you need to kill off is this legal spirit, this Galatian spirit. Let me put this another way. Um, I'm speaking to you today, as in John T, I'm speaking to you as an unbeliever, Newton would say. An unbeliever. That last line again, most of our complaints are owing to unbelief. Not a total unbeliever, not somebody who's not a Christian, but someone who is a Christian, but who doesn't fully believe. And Newton doesn't believe that his friend is unconverted. He just realises that that grace hasn't fully gripped his heart yet. Because it never does for all of us. It takes time. It is a journey. That's why the very last sentence, all these evils are not removed in a day. And what is Newton's cure? Well, it's to keep going back to Christ. Your sins are many. His mercies are more. Your sins are great. His righteousness is greater. And remember, that coming is empty-handed, as we saw last week. It finds its hope not in the strength of your coming or the way you come or whatever, but in the grace that awaits you. And so he finishes his letter. The more you know of him, the better you'll trust him. The more you trust him, the better you'll love him. The more you love him, the better you'll serve him. This is God's way. You are not called to buy, but to beg. You don't to bring anything, in other words, just to ask. Not to be strong in yourself, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's teaching you these things, and I trust he'll teach you to the end. Remember, the growth of a believer is not like a mushroom. In other words, something that springs up pretty quickly. But like an oak, which increases slowly, indeed, but surely. Many suns, showers, and frosts pass upon it before it comes to perfection. And in winter, when it seems dead, it gathers strength at the root. Be humble, watchful, diligent in the means. It means things like coming to church, hearing the gospel taught, Lord's Supper, that sort of thing. And endeavour to look through them all and fix your eyes upon Jesus. And all shall be well. Your most important duty, says, says uh, Newton. And the way you'll increasingly kill off this kind of legal spirit. Have I done enough? Does God really love me? Is keep looking to Jesus. <laughs> In the same way you began looking to Jesus, i.e. empty-handed. First, to remember his kindness and mercy, and therefore to then be able to confess your sin. We're praying for a freeing, not just from the remaining sin, but the remaining unbelief in our hearts, and the remaining legal spirit. These are, at root, our biggest problem. And that may not be quite what we 
expected. Uh, then, of course, as we get convinced of the love, the grace of Christ, he does transform our hearts. And we do meet the call to put sin to death. Newton doesn't mean, Paul doesn't mean, more importantly, that obedience isn't important. He's just putting it, they're all putting it in its right place. It's never works. They're never the way of earning, meriting, maintaining, keeping our place in the kingdom. Making sure we stay justified or stay adopted as children or loved by God. Our works don't lead to his love, rather they come from his love. And the more we understand we're loved, the more actually slowly our icy hearts will melt, our unbelief will just begin to drip away. And the more we'll find our obedience growing too. I think it's an amazing letter, that, that Newton letter. I really love it. So many of our problems remain because of our legal spirit. Um, so, back round tables. Uh, yeah, put a discussion on the sheet. Have a discussion about that, that have a chat about that Luther quote. What's encouraging about it? Might sound an odd question, but what's encouraging about it? And then go back to that question we began with. How might what we've seen in Paul, in Colossians, in Galatians, in Newton's letter, how might it change or shape the way you first answer the question? Um, And perhaps change or shape your own approach to your own Christian life. Five minutes, round tables, over to you. Okay, we've got, we've got a couple of minutes. Let's do some feedback for a change. Very democratic. Um, what about that quote from Luther? To be convinced in our hearts we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. How is that encouraging? You could read that and think, oh, that's depressing. But I actually think it's really encouraging. Um, does anyone agree? <laughs> what, what did you talk about under that one? What's encouraging about Luther's, Luther's words there? Yeah, that, that is often very much the case. So when we are not convinced that God loves us and that we're at peace with God, often, and we haven't really talked about this much, but often that will then lead to kind of unhealthy fruit. And so we might think the problem is just the fruit. I'm a bit angry or a bit stressed or a bit whatever it might be. But underneath, the soil has gone bad, as it were, or the soil isn't quite as rich as it could be. So yeah, thank you. That's a, that's good. I haven't talked about that much. We'll do that another time. Next series, Jake. You can teach that one. Uh, other things encouraging about that? Does anyone else talk about anything else? Um, yeah. Uh, Eva. So, yeah. <coughs> um, it's, it's really encouraging to see, to, to see that Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, uh, struggled, struggles with uh, realising that we're totally forgiven of our sins yeah. by just grace and grace alone. So it's, it's, it's very tempting sometimes to think that uh, God is like us human beings that uh, at some point he's not going to always forgive us by grace and, and then we have to bring something to the table so that he can say, alright, you're, you're totally forgiven. Yeah. But um, it's really encouraging to realise that we're totally forgiven of our sins by grace and by grace. Totally. Yeah. It's all- <laughs> 
there's, there's a kind, there's a, there is an encouragement, isn't there, when, when you realise, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Even the great Martin Luther battles with something that, that sounds so simple. It's not, it's not complicated, is it? God loves you and has forgiven you in Christ and you're at peace with him. It's not, you can explain that to a child. Indeed, a child can believe it. But even Luther says, I still have to battle against Satan tempting me to despair, against, and again, not just against my sin, although, yeah, but, but against the kind of, that legalistic Im, um, impulse that still remains in me. I've got, to, I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. I've got to earn my place. Even, even someone as great as Luther struggles. There's, yeah. Um, two minutes on that, that last question. How am I what we've looked at this week, last week, change, shape, tweak our approach to the Christian life. Any thoughts on that from the tables? I guess kind of similar to what Jake said, the way that we go about approaching our sin is that, as you said, not by a sort of fruit by fruit basis and going at case by case, but actually um, addressing it at the source of it uh-huh. um, and saying a uh, perspective and change. Great. Yep. So often holiness things. Uh, we struggle with, I don't know, pornography, and we think the answer is simply get a filter or a web, whatever they are. Or and That's good, by the way. <laughs> that's a good thing to do. But very often we need to li- dig a little deeper. <laughs> And see, you know, what has led me into the frustration that leads me to watch pornography, or the um, the boredom that's led me to do that, or the and you, it's going to very often come down to these kind of things underneath. Yep. Other things, folk talks about how this might shape our Christian walk. Dom. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I. It sounds um. It sounds ridiculous, but I, it's taken me years to realise that I, I need the gospel every day. So I, I was soon as soon as I became a Christian, I don't know when I became a Christian. I kept going on summer camp and becoming Christian in the summer, then drifting all year, then becoming a Christian again next summer, and then you know. So I don't, who knows? But anyway, every year I become a Christian, and then. Um, I think my understanding was, right, now I need to read my Bible every day and say prayers. Good things to do. Um, but, but I don't know if no one told me or just I wasn't listening or what, but it just never came to me that what I need to hear is the, the gospel every day. Okay? So if I happen to be reading the Ten Commandments that day, yeah, that, they're not the, the gospel. Um, and so I, I, I would need to, if I can put it like this, not just read the Bible... But make sure God's word in all its fullness, particularly the gospel, is getting into my heart and soul every day. Okay, I, so I, I read the commandments, I'm convicted of sin. But if I just stop there because the, my Bible reading of that day was Exodus 21 to 22 or whatever it is. Actually, I haven't had the gospel. Uh, so th- there is a way of doing Bible reading <laughs> that actually somehow sort of stops you short of of Christ, stops you short of the gospel. Um, and so, yeah, Tom's thing, thankfulness for the gospel every day. Um, and of course, ultimately, all scripture leads to Christ, but it is 
possible to read the Bible and not really kind of quite get there. Yeah. Excuse me. Good. Um, we also wrap up so we can turn church around. Let me pray, and then we'll get sorted. Father in heaven, um, we thank you for the grace in which we stand. We thank you that we uh, we stand in Christ, and that therefore justified in Him, we can't. Uh, become more secure, more adopted, more your children, more safe. And we pray that you'd pour your spirit on us and kill off the the legal spirit that remains. And we pray so much that you'd fill us with assurance of your love for us, that unconditional love shown in Christ. And would you therefore warm our hearts to to love you and rejoice before you, give thanks to you uh, in return. Father, bless us this way and convince us that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with you when we come to you in Christ's name. Uh, Make our hearts good soil and grow good fruit, therefore we pray. For we ask in his name. Amen.